Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. Change the title. It was work as worship. That's what I told Chris. But surprise, surprise, it's now why be normal? <laughs> why be normal? My name is Steve Montgomery. I'm a husband to Melanie, a dad to four awesome kids who are all here today, which is awesome. And I like a surrogate dad to all these other friends that come along. Um, we're, I'm the director of farm and education at Lampost Farm, which is right a mile up the road that direction. About We have cows within almost sight of here, so if they got loose, they might come and eat the grass at the church. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this right off the top. This pre- preparing for today's talk was maybe the hardest preparation I've ever had to do, and I don't know why. Um, Maybe it's because you're the home church for me, um, but I've done that before in other churches. Um, Maybe it's because there's an opportunity here that um, I'm excited to communicate, and we'll see where the Lord takes us. Um, Regardless, pray for me, because I need it. Um, Here's my main burning question in life is what does it mean to be in relationship to God? Just simply, what does it mean to be in relationship to God? How does my faith in Jesus matter in my life? It's, it's that where does a faith idea, things I might read in Scripture, land in my life? How does, how does that happen? Mel and I started Lampost Farm with a desire to foster a different viewpoint of Jesus that lands in everyday life. We designed the farm with the purpose of up-close and personal encounters. So you can draw near, and and, and agriculture affords us the opportunity to do that, which which is amazing. In our world today, most of us live lives that separate relationship with Jesus from tangible, feet on the ground, living in the community life. We as a church need... I'm sorry, we as a church need to get better at displaying these two things together of faith in Jesus and tangibility, how that lands in my everyday. It's into our human lives and God's creation that God's kingdom is actually coming. So it's what we see, know, do, smell, feel, touch that He is working out and bringing His kingdom into our reality. Creation is the canvas to his story. Let me pray for us before we move any further. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today, um, for the the chance to speak to a group of people who have shown love and uh, delight in us as a family, who have supported uh, Lampost Farm and our work as a ministry, um, who have supported us as a family to do... um, mission trips and uh, who have come alongside of us in times of need and who have opened their hearts to us that we can come alongside of them in times of need. Thank you for the life that's here, for the community that's here, for the fellowship that's here, for the friendship. Thank you that you designed church community to happen like that. Thank you that we could have communion today and share in the breaking of bread 
and the, the cup that represents your blood. Thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I ask that you would give me clear sight and allow me to speak um, the words that you would want to be spoken. We praise you for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. By default, the most concrete intersections of faith and life often happen in times of crisis. Then Jesus' presence is real and important, and it's more easily seen. So let me start today by expressing to you all, I knew this was going to happen. I want to express my sympathy to Celie, Monica, Beth, and their family for Tony's passing. I'm sorry. What a privilege it is to do communion with you today. That's tangible. That's so tangible. I'm deeply connected to your struggle because I liked, loved, honored, and respected Tony. He had my attention, even from afar. I told him now I wasn't even going to make the first sentence. I'm connected, too, because I said goodbye to my dad, who died of colon cancer 15 years ago. It's a big reason why we're here, why we do what we do. It's in the days prior to my dad's death that everything felt so much more alive, more tangible. I noticed things about dad that I knew I would miss soon, while he was still alive. The small details took on greater significance and to this day have lasting impact on me. That space with Dad and the time Mel and I had to spend with, with or around Tony and Seely, like being a part of your birthday party over here, or sitting in the hospital and having him say, I imagine the ice chips tasting like pumpkin pie. <laughs> Those moments were where hope in the Lord and human reality meet. Truly, those were burning bush moments, and we were on holy ground. And for that, I was thankful. I am thankful. And I'm also full of jealous awe and great anticipation as Tony joins with my dad and many other loved ones in this great cloud of witnesses that we read about. What are they witnessing? They get to watch how Jesus' redemption is playing out all over creation. Imagine sitting with an with a end-to-end view of what he's doing and seeing that all happen. That's what they're doing right now. They get to see the big picture of the many little, many and little ways that Jesus is shaping hearts, growing disciples, and pushing back the boundaries of his kingdom in normal, everyday life here on earth. An apology to a spouse, an apology to a child, uh, an apology to a friend, an act of service, a, a, an endurance of great pain, a smile. Jesus' work on growing Tony and you all through this battle has been evident. His faithfulness has raised the bar high for many of us. For that I'm really thankful. Let me put it this way. I hope that when it's my turn, I can die with the same dignity.
right, I'm going to move on. Thank you. Um, why be normal? That's the question I want to answer today. Why be normal? Normal is how we were created. Normal is the fabric of creation. It's into the normal that God, in the person of Jesus, entered. It is normal that God delights. It's in the normal that God delights. Does his work and has done his redemption. See, here's the thing. We're drawn to the spectacular, the relevant, and the powerful. We talk of a faith that is supernatural. We want a life that is extraordinary. We can't lose sight that we also need to see Jesus in here and now. Tangible feet on the ground. We're marketed too crazily that our life needs to be more than it is. Um, We've been fed so much information. Could those things be a distraction from the good, ordinary life that God has created us to live? I think maybe. I want to read to you Genesis chapter 1, and it will be up on the the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verses 2, or verse 2. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In Genesis chapter 1, what I just read, we get a picture of the world that God intended and the way the world would operate. These are called creational norms. right? God built into creation people to take care of it. That's a norm. That's a way of functioning. At the end of creation, God rested. That's a great place to start, right? Let me, let, let's look at how and what that means. What was that like? Let's go to Proverbs 8, verse 22 to 31. This is wisdom talking. Okay, wisdom speaking as if wisdom is a person. The Lord brought me forth as the the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth... 
I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. So I want to start by talking about rest. Rest that God entered at the, at the end of creation. So Proverbs 8, 22 through 31 describes wisdom as God's delight in creating. What about God's delight can we know? What are its effects? Wisdom was the first of God's works before it all began. Think about that. Before God created, he actually, wisdom was beside him, was um, with him. I'll explain that a little bit more. Wisdom was present at God's side for the creation process. When the details were set in place, the boundaries for the sea, horizon between sea and sky, limits and foundations of the earth, wisdom was filled with delight day after day. Wisdom was rejoicing in his presence, his whole world, and delighting in mankind. In summary, wisdom was the ideas of God put into practice that fills God with great delight. So, um, we renovated the cabin that's on the farm. Some of you have been in there. And I actually was down there last night doing the, working on this talk. And I was laying in the cabin looking around, and it's timber-framed. It's got, you know, we cut trees down on the right there by the cabin. We milled them into timbers, and we put that all together, and we put it in. And I can tell you the story. It was fantastic. We had to borrow a neighbor's um, boom lift and cut a hole in the top of the, the cabin to raise these timbers up. And so we dropped the strap down through the top of the cabin and lifted these timbers up into place and it lifted the entire cabin off the foundation to get the posts in underneath it. This was a really fun process. But as I'm laying there last night, talk, or laying there, because I was like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Like, Where are we going here? Um, I'm looking at these timbers and it, and it dawns on me, like, the delight of imagining what that space was going to be before it was built is the same thing. Right? So God, before speaking anything into existence, sat there and went, how do I want to do this? I'm kind of a nerd like this. Like, I like these kind of things a lot. And and here's, here's the Lord. I imagine he's like, hey, my son, come here, check this out. This is how we're going to make this work. Holy Spirit, check this out. Like, what do you think about this? Let's, how about we create five-legged people? No, I don't like that idea. Let's go with three, no, two-legged people. Make them walk up, you know, and make some really tall and some not so tall and some a little bit wider than others and and some really skinny. Um, I mean, give them different colored skin and give them different colored eyes and I mean, God imagined all of this before he spoke it into existence. That's what wisdom's talking about. And, and wisdom's sitting back saying, this is my delight. I love this. Like, God, in doing this, was anticipating, I can't wait to do it again. I'm going to make another one. I'm going to make another one. Here they go. Here they go. Here they go. Right? 
what happens when those actual ideas are fulfilled? God's glorified. Like, he's going to accomplish those ideas. He's the Lord. He created. He will be glorified in his ideas. Wisdom will come and be known. So what about rest? Okay, so at the end of creation, day seven, God says, okay, it is very good. And he pushes back from the chair, or from the desk, imagine him in his desk chair, pushed back, kicked his feet up on the desk, and he sighed a great sigh. Ah, this is good. No, this is very good. And in the Hebrew, it actually says, this is good, good. And when when you see a repeated word in Hebrew, you know it's like super emphasized, right? So when Isaiah meets God in the temple, what are the angels saying? Holy, holy, holy. That's like super, super, super emphasized, right? So when God pushes back at the end of every day, it says, and he saw what he had made, and it was good. And he got to the end, and after he had made humans, created his image, and he pushed back from the table, and he saw the whole picture, and he said, now, this is it. Like, this is very good. Let me ask you this. Do you know what that kind of satisfaction is like? Do you know that? Do you have examples in your life where you can say, yeah, that moment right there, that's the one I was like, this is really good. Or I have that on a daily basis when I'm with this person. Or think, think about it. Of course you do. Here's why. Because you're created in God's image. Therefore, you reflect who he is through your existence. So I have a picture they took, um, William, if you could pull it up, it's fuzzy, which is kind of appropriate. Um, but it was a picture taken Friday night because I was on the tractor planting some pasture for the, um, for the next year. And all of a sudden the full moon came up between these trees way across the field. And it was absolutely gorgeous. And it was huge. And as I'm thinking about this talk and just kind of ruminating on it, which is an agricultural term, by the way, um, you got that one. Um, I was chewing my cut about this sermon. The moon's coming up, and it's gorgeous. And I thought, that thing doesn't give off light at all. It's reflecting light of the sun right here, and it's absolutely amazing to see, right? And it's appropriately fuzzy because in many ways that's how we reflect God's image, in fuzzy ways. And we'll get to that in a minute. We get glimpses of this... Oh, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong line. I'm sure you've all experienced deep delight like this at some point. And maybe in relationships, maybe in work that you do, maybe in food. When you have, this is an opportunity for worship. Why? Let's look again at the foundation of the earth as seen in Genesis, this time chapter 2, 15 to 25. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woman, for she was taken out of man. Just kidding. She shall be called Woman. Sorry, I had to get that one in there. That's why this that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. As God unfolds creation, we see his wisdom taking shape in three ways: relationships, work, and food or eating. Let me start at the top. In in chapter 1, it says, be fruitful and multiply. At the end of this passage in chapter 2, it says, the man and the wife were naked and unashamed. I call that play. I mean, it's it's a play on words a little bit. It's, It's really about relationship. It's about knowing and being known by one another, right? And we see that at the beginning of the first passage and at the end of the second passage. In the middle, you see, fill the earth and subdue it. Another way of hearing that is cultivate it and preserve it. Like Adam and Eve, or the the humans, are given the task by God to cultivate and preserve the earth, the garden. Grow it, develop it, work it, put limits on it. Do what I did with creation only in your small sphere. At the end, or middle of chapter 2, Adam is given the task, or actually not Adam, the man is given the task of naming the animals. And so I used to imagine this, before I went into farming, as if it was like a parade, right? And his task was just to sit there and go, elephant, ostrich, peacock, alligator, mm, I have to wait and come back to you, you know, platypus, okay, there it is, you know, that kind of thing. Now I see it differently. Naming an animal is knowing it. It's being in relationship with it. It's being able to tell what it's supposed to be. It's saying, okay, that's a chicken. And to be a chicken, you have to express chickenness. Right? You have to have qualities of a chicken. And there it is. And, and so Adam was able, or the man, was given this task. And in the process, um, was given his own name. At the end, let me reread that section for you. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. And don't 
miss this, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In the process of work and giving things names, he himself was given his name. So our work disciples us. It grows us. It shapes us. Is work worship? Absolutely it is. Because it's how God takes us tangibly and grows us into relationship with his creation and, and the creation that he created and ultimately the creator of the creation that he created. The third thing is, God said to the, to, to the humans... They will be yours for food. Eat. And then in uh, at the end or in the beginning of chapter two. So that's at the end of chapter one, and then at the beginning of chapter two, it's uh, Adam is put into the garden, or the man is put into the garden, and he said, "Eat of the trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food." So here's what we have. You have eating as an expression of dependence on the Lord. So as we eat, God provides for us on a daily basis food. We, I think we just maybe have grown up eating, and so we don't see the significance of that too readily, especially in this country where we have as much food as we could ever want for most of us. But when, if you step back and you go, wow, the reality is, is I'm actually dependent on someone or somebody to bring the food to my plate and, um, and, and that actually starts in the ground and God created it to be like that. And it's right here in scripture that at the beginning of time, he actually told Adam and Eve, eat, that's, your, that's one of the things that I do for you. Go and do it, right? And so the big picture of this pair, of this uh of this passage, you can put that next thing up, is uh, like this bullseye. So in chapter 1, we see play, work, and eat, and then God rests. And in chapter 2, we see eat, work, and play. And it, it, there's, there's this thing in Hebrew literature called a chiasm, or an inverted parallelism. And what that is, is when you have emphasis, like parallel emphasis, two things, play, play, work, work, eat, eat, they're like a bullseye pointing to something in the center. And so, it, I mean, I'm just learning this stuff, and it's fantastic to me. Again, I geek out on this kind of thing. What's in the middle of all these things? God's rest. Right? And so maybe, maybe if this is right, those things, play, work, and eat, eat, work, and play, are pathways to enter God's rest. To knowing what it means to rest, as he did. When we play, work, or eat, we are being who God created us to be. He's glorified in our being because he created us to be that way. There was a movie, Chariots of Fire, not too long ago. Actually, probably a while ago now. Um, in the movie, the main character's name is Eric Little. And he's a mission, uh, he was um, going into the missions field. Uh, and he, he gives up becoming a missionary to run in the Olympics. And he says to his sister, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Our lifelong tasks are to figure out or to discern where that is true for ourselves and to help others discover that too. Where do you feel God's pleasure? And how do you go along, come alongside of other people and help them to figure that out too? 
So that's play, work, and eat. Uh, eat, work, and play leading to rest. Play, work, and eat are also the pathways that sin and brokenness were expressed first. Let's go to Genesis 3, 6, and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you see it? They ate of the tree. They realized they were naked as they stood in relationship to one another. And they made coverings, or they worked. They made coverings out of fig leaves. Further on in Genesis 3, brokenness persists in the curses. God says to the woman, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to the man, you will work for food by the sweat of your brow. Don't get hung up on the male-female thing. I think there's some things that may be characteristic of both male and female. But generally speaking, the curses hit both. They hit all three. They hit food, they hit play, and they hit work. So, the result is like the second runner in the chariots of fire. Harold Abrams is his name, and he says in the movie... When that gun goes off, I have ten seconds to prove myself. He runs so he can feel good about himself. Eric Little runs to experience God's delight. When I'm tangled in my sin, good things such as playing, working, and eating become fig leaves to cover my feelings of inadequacy. And those come and go pretty consistently. I'm like this with fig leaves. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be naked. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be known. My brokenness shows up in three areas, all, all three of these areas. My work becomes self-justifying. I will show them that I can, dot, dot, dot. That's what I say. I can do that, dot, dot, dot. My relationships become self-justifying. Well, if I can get this person to, dot, dot, dot fill in the blank my family knows this stuff my eating becomes something that I do to show that I deserve dot 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 or just to satisfy my longing for something more with intangible creation is where we experience great satisfaction and God's delight naked and unashamed it's also where we experience great aloneness, nakedness, and hiding. Intangible creation is where Jesus entered, moved into the neighborhood, and finishes his work. The chapter on rest in Hebrews is Hebrews 4, and verse 9 and 10 read, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. This isn't just a rest from doing our jobs. Like, oh, I take Sunday off, or I take the weekends off. This is a rest from the work of, as Tim Keller says, 
endless self-reproach. We beat ourselves over and over and over and over and over and over. And we need to stop. We need to lay it down. But what do we lay it down in order to grab a hold of? We need to hear the delight of the Lord and see the work of the Lord, which he, which we did not do anything to deserve, given as a tremendous gift. Further down, Hebrews 4.13 shows us maybe the greatest picture of God's delight. 4.13 and then um, 4.14. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what is that saying? And why do I think that's maybe the greatest picture of God's delight? Well, it's saying that he sees everything. He's not um, surprised by anything. It's all laid bare. And we must give account of it. How is that experiencing the greatest picture of God's delight? Let me say it a little bit more. The word laid bare actually is a word that means stretched back like a neck at slaughter. Right? Jesus was the lamb who when he was laid bare had his head pulled back and cut the verse right after that. William, can you go to that one? 414? Is it right there? I didn't have it queued up, so I'm sorry. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So Jesus is both laid bare and the high priest. That's the good news. He's the high priest that takes, gives himself to the slaughter so that we don't have to. Jesus was stretched back on our behalf. And then he pushed back from the desk and sighed, It is finished. Not with the sigh of despair, but with the delight of a creator, a God, and a Savior. It is finished. My statement about you is complete. You are worth dying for. You are what I delight in. Now enter my rest. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, it's hard to know tangibly what you offered us 2,000 years ago. But you're super persistent at trying to reach us with that tangibly and let us know that you delight in us and we're worth dying for and that you gave everything so that we can stand with you in delight so that we all in the end can be part of a cloud of witnesses to see what you've done what you're doing and what you will do father we look forward to eternity 
of learning from you all the many ways you've done your work of redemption in tangible space and time. We ask you to lead us and grow us in the ability to see that in our own lives now and to help others see that. And give us the courage to confess when we can't see that so that others can help us to see that better, to know you tangibly. Thank you for building the world that you have, the way you have. You're a master. And we get to delight in it alongside of you because of your work. I praise you for the fact that you reach deep into our hearts and you call us out. Your goodness blows me away. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Don't forget, there's a time of ministry up here. Um, If you need prayer, if you want to talk to somebody, if you want to talk to me, you're more than welcome. Please come forward. Thanks.